Well, there's a few things. I think the the main thing that I like to do is I like to literally go straight to the reviews. You know, let's say you have 10 reviews, let's say you have 100, maybe 10,000 reviews. Go through as many as you can and start making it a list, right? So if we go to this candle website, we click on the reviews. Now we're going to start looking at the reviews. Okay, somebody likes the design of the candle. Boom, we write down design, put a tally. The next one, it takes really long to burn through a full candle. So it lasts a long time. So we're going to write that down, put a tally. Turn it up. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go. No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests. Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn the f*** up. This episode is sponsored by our friends over at maga.io. Hey, Nick, welcome to the podcast. Excited to be here, Daniel. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, it's been a long time, but um, we finally got some time on your busy calendar. (laughs) But yeah, I just wanted to kick off, like, how did you become like the D2C guy? And especially like, how did you get into like the, uh, the marketing space of it? Well, the D2C guy story is funny because that was something that a friend of mine came up with. He was just like this guy, David Perel, who's, he calls himself now the writing guy after he realized what happened with me changing my name or just changing my bio to say the D2C guy. You know, I put it in Twitter and all I tweet about is really things around direct-to-consumer, e-commerce, marketing, advertising, paid media, creative, all the kinds of things around that ecosystem. And so I made it the you know the first three words of my twitter bio and like a year later you go to google and google you know dtc guy or the dtc guy and i'm the only person who shows up so that's how that specifically happened but i guess outside of that it just came for this like inner nerd within me of of just loving marketing and e-commerce and advertising building digital experiences i got i kind of fell in love initially with e-commerce when I was at a beverage company called Hintwater, specifically because I could I could see the actual impact that we had on so many people's lives with e-commerce. So, you know, retail teams would move a few units per store per week. That's how they judge uh, retail velocity is how many store how many units are you moving within a certain store every week? And with e-commerce, we could move, you know, we could bring thousands of new customers a day many of which would then come back and write to us and say things like, you know, this product changed my life, or this solved a huge problem, or this has made me healthier, or, you know, this has changed my life for the better, basically. And that kind of got me really obsessed with e-commerce simply because we could go from, you know, competing for real estate within a store, basically the shelf space within aisles to with e-commerce, if you have a great product, you know, you decide what your real estate is and and it's it's less about like who has more influence on on what sits on the shelves and it's more about how good good are you at storytelling and helping people solve problems i love that i think that's also like 
the connection to marketing too, right? Because like marketing is basically like selling at scale and storytelling at scale. So like that's where like the connection of like D to C can come in too, because they're pretty much the same thing, but just one's like selling products at scale at off a shelf, but also like like they say that about B2B is marketing at scale, but like even like D2C is even more like sales at scale. It's like, yeah, you exactly. have to sell. Like that's the metric. Like you yeah. have to go off of. Sales um, is the KPI. Yeah. I want to go over a topic that you preach all the time and you write a lot of like posts about landing pages, but like also like why so many people focus on like, oh, we need these like perfect ad creative everything, but they forget about like the whole funnel after the ad. So in your mind, why is the landing page so important? And then we can go into like more of like the details of like what you should be thinking of your, your landing page. Yeah. I mean, you know, most websites that are built today are not necessarily built they're built to be just a website, right? So you have your homepage, you might have product pages, collections pages. Those are like your three main points of contact when it comes to you know driving a, a purchase. And then you have your about page, you might have an our story page, you might have, you know, this is where our materials come from. You might have, you know, how we compare. There's all these pages that that live on your site. And for a new customer coming to your homepage, you know, they might not get everything that they need within one homepage. They might have to go click around. Okay, how is uh, how is this candle different than a candle that I might buy on the shelf at Target? How is this can you know where is are the materials in this candle sourced from? How is it how is the wick different than than one you might find at Walmart? Basically, what you're doing is you're forcing the customer to go out and do their own research and become educated themselves. Whereas with landing pages, landing pages are basically web experiences that you build where you try to answer the three questions of what is it that you're selling? Why does it exist? And how is it going to make my life better? And within that, you might incorporate different elements of how does this compare to another brand? Where are the materials sourced from? You know, what is the purpose of this specific candle? And you're able to create kind of this cohesive experience on a website where now you have the single page or, or maybe it's a couple pages, but ideally you have a single page experience that talks about everything start to finish. So you're not forcing this consumer to go jump around in different pages on your site, but rather everything is right there. And the way I like to think about it is you got to think of yourself as kind of a Hollywood level, A-list celebrity assistant at a red carpet and Kim Kardashian is your website visitor. And you've got to make sure that everything is right there at the right time, just you know, waiting to be read and consumed versus you know, Kim coming to you and asking, wait, what is this? Or why am I doing this? What's the purpose of this? What's the price? Is there a discount? You know, what am I getting out of this? What comes in the box? How much does it weigh? When, when is it going to be arriving? The purpose of the landing page is to basically answer all these questions in one shot. But at the same time, you know, if you're running higher budgeted traffic from paid social channels or Google or wherever it may be, and paid social could be Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, et cetera, you might be targeting different audiences. And so, for example, you know, you might be targeting, let's stick with the candle. If you're targeting an audience of people who work, uh, you know, now they have their home office set up at their apartment, 
you might have different messaging as to why they want to buy those candles. It makes your home office smell good. It makes it more fun to sit down and work in the morning, gets you more excited versus if it's a more relaxing audience, you know, maybe somebody who's into self-care and wellness, the candle might be more focused on it's your end of the day candle. You light it up next to your bathtub and these landing pages help you kind of differentiate how you speak to different segments of consumers. Whereas again, your homepage or your main website is very kind of focused on one type of consumer. And the reality is, is that today when you're driving paid media, you have to be a little bit more personalized and thoughtful in that journey so that when somebody comes to your site, there's a clear purpose that matches the intention that they have coming to your site. So all that said, I love to think of landing pages as kind of a, a cohesive way to educate and inspire a purchase among, you know, within a consumer versus just driving them to the homepage and then kind of forcing them to figure out where do they go from the homepage or, okay, once they're on the collections page, how do they decide which one is right for them? You know, maybe then they click that, okay, now there's three different sizes of candles. How do they choose which one's right for them? With a landing page, if you know somebody's coming in as a brand new customer, you could almost use your customer data or your sales data to say, all right, most of our customers who come in and they buy this scent of candle for their first purchase, we have the best repeat rate for the people who buy this scent at this price point with this size. And so you can almost get ahead of customer churn by you know, using sales data and then merchandising that, those specific products onto a landing page. Yeah, I like the what you said, like, I think this is a, a mess a lot of people is like, you want them to be like, oh, the research is done for me. Like, I don't have to go anywhere else. Like the research is done. Like if I want to go look for another candle, like I've already done like the research I have instead of like them having to decide, okay, is this the candle I really want? Blah, blah, blah. Like I have to go do a bunch of research. You want them to feel like, okay. I don't even have to do any more research because I've this gives me enough information to do exactly. Research. Yeah, so I love that it's, point. It's it's not even like you're you're trying to trick them in a way either. It's more just like what are all the things you could put there that help make it their choice to say, "Yep, you know what? This is actually a very smart purchase for me to make." I the question I also have for you is like taking one step back, like. How should companies like go find out like what should be on these like landing pages? Like, because if they if they're very like sales focused on mm-hmm. certain consumers and certain like persona bases, like what should they do before to create these landing pages so it fits that story and messaging that the consumer wants to be hearing? Well, there's a few things. I think the the main thing that I like to do is I like to literally go straight to the reviews. You know, let's say you have 10 reviews, let's say you have 100, maybe 10,000 reviews. Go through as many as you can and start making it a list, right? So if we go to this candle website, we click on the reviews. Now we're going to start looking at the reviews. Okay, somebody likes the design of the candle. Boom, we write down design, put a tally. The next one, it takes really long to burn through a full candle. So it lasts a long time. So we're going to write that down, put a tally. The third one, uh, it takes a long time to burn and the scent is beautiful. Okay, so we're going to add a second tally to long time to burn. And we're going to add scent and put a tally. By the time you get done going through your reviews, you'll have a pretty clear idea of what it is that people actually care about from using the product with consistent use. And so then what I usually do is I then I flip it on its head. So, all right, we go 
let's take the top five things people care about most. Maybe it's, you know, the scent, then, you know, it takes a long time to burn the design of the candle, you know, and you go basically all the way down to maybe 10 things, your top 10 things that people care about. And there's probably going to be a lot more, but you want to focus on the top 10 because, you know, with data, you can already see this is what people care for. And then you just start crafting the page. So you kind of think of your page as, all right, how do I hit on the first two or three things at the very top? And then slowly spread those in as you go down the page. You want to also make sure that you're you're not just pushing information. You want to be able to also show proof that it's not just you saying this as the brand, right? And so whether that's social proof, whether that's adding UGC, whether that's adding video clips, whether that's adding... Uh, what we call a brag bar, which is you know quotes from publications or or customers themselves. You want to basically fuse like talking about what it is that you're selling and and why you're selling it, but then also add social proof as a good element to balance out. You know we're not just pushing, we're not just trying to make you hit buy. We're also then showing you what other customers or publications or other people with authority are saying about it as well. I love that the the reviews are such like a key place where people don't spend enough time on because I feel like that and social media are like the two like underrated places where people don't like I love how Eight Sleeps founders like replies to every Eight Sleeps like person. With the wall Someone, of love. Yeah, yeah, like every everyone. Even when I tweeted about them, I saw him coming to my like, which is such a good experience as like a founder to do that, which I think is so awesome. Yeah. I mean, even one of their most recent TV commercials, it finishes with just a bunch of tweets just flying through the screen. And they're just real customers who've talked about how much they love the product. But, you know, the eight sleep wall of love is like, you can't, you can't manufacture that. You can't fake that kind of social proof adding elements like that where people know consumers know that you can't just fake things like that add a lot of credibility to your landing page do you understand how your technology stack comes together or have you spent hours on end trying to get a full picture of how your organization uses marketing tools well consider checking out techstack builder at maga.io in a few moments it can take your corporate domain and detect all your tools and help you create a visual data flow in just minutes. Check it out today at maga.io, which is M-C-G-A-W.io. What are some must-have elements of a landing page? Like, What are like some key like must-have things that every landing page, successful landing page you've seen has? So I think, uh, you know, starting with a really good hero section. So whether that's a video up top, or even just a great image, you want to make sure that whatever that visual is, it properly communicates the function of the product. So for example, if it's a candle, you know, you see maybe it's, it's, it's a, if it's a video, you see a match going in and lighting it. If it's an emergency kit, you know, you can see an animation of the top coming off and taking out a module or a video of somebody opening it up and taking something out. If it's a, a, you know, cookware, then you want to see the the maybe a flame turn on and you see something going on if you want to show off even a feature there you know you can show like eggs sliding around because you're showing now it's nonstick so you're doing you know a couple things at once with just that visual you also want to have a very strong piece of copy at the top you know my favorite example is like with hydrant you know we tested a bunch of different copy 
to on their landing pages to get people down to the shop section. And we, what we had started with was what they had on their site, which was, you know, uh, low sugar electrolyte mix, something like that. Basically it tells you exactly what the product is, but what we realized people don't care about what the product is. They care about what it does for them. And so we flipped that to, to say, you know, meet the fastest way to rehydrate. And all of a sudden now that worked four times better because people knew one, they knew what it does, but two, they realized, Oh, I, I get something out of it. And then, you know, in the hero section too, if you can add any social proof around how many five-star reviews you have, any kind of accreditations, any kind of badges, things of that nature, those always help. The last thing you want to have, if it's possible, is any kind of pricing. So, you know, people like to know what they're getting into if they're going down a page and pricing usually helps understand, all right, this is for me or this is not for me. Typically after the hero, we like to put something called the why section. And this was also something I discovered a few years ago when, you know, I was just trying to think, okay, how do I communicate why this product is so good? And, and then I just thought, all right, let me just test just like writing it and playing it plain English and saying, this is why the product is good. And this is how it helps you. And it turns out that was a huge unlock in the world of landing pages because we weren't trying to be cryptic about what exactly the product does to help you. We just made it very obvious and we wrote it as if we're speaking to a fifth grader. And again, that was something that worked really well. Now, I like to always think about these sections as push and pull. So pull is in the sense that I'm going to try to get you to do something. I'm going to try to get you to scroll down, click a product variant selector, you know, different size, flavor, et cetera, click a CTA. And push is I'm trying to give you education uh, or information to try to educate you and, and help you make a better decision. And so, you know, we've got the hero section, which I would say is more of a push section because we're trying to tell you what this is. We've got the why section, which I would say is a pull section. I'm telling you why you should buy this product. And then I balance it again with a push section of usually a brag bar. Depending on the demo you're going after, the brag bar, you know, if it's an older demo, the brag bar might be a press quote. If it's a younger demo, the brag bar might just be a customer testimonial. Different demographics react to different things. And then usually from there, it can start free flowing. So that, that's kind of like the top section I like to have, but then you might have a comparison chart in there. You know, If the brand gives back in any way, you might have a section that talks about that to help communicate and, and let a customer know that, that their dollars are working towards something other than just you know, capitalism. And then you have a shop section, obviously, which is where you're highlighting whatever you're merchandising on that page usually in the shop section itself. You want to reinforce social proof, whether that's you know, a bestseller sticker, a GQ award sticker, you know, how many ratings this thing has. Uh, you also want to add in exactly what comes in the box that they're getting. So with like Hydrant, for example, we explicitly spelled out, you're getting 30, 30 sticks of rapid hydration mix. You're getting 10 of this flavor, 10 of this flavor, and 10 of this flavor. And then depending on the audience you're going after, you might add different elements. So if you're going after like a TikTok audience, for example, which has lower spending thresholds, then you might break down, you know, this $27.99 product. You might say, you know, this is this comes out to less than a dollar a day because psychologically that helps somebody get over the threshold of, oh, I'm about to spend $30 on something. And then after your shop section, you know, you can maybe add a founder section that highlights, you know, who the founder is. You can add a brand story section, talks about where this brand came from, why it exists. 
You can add a small listicle, you know, four reasons why we love this candle or four reasons why I don't even know what candle connoisseurs are called, but candle connoisseurs are, are using sniff, for example. What you want to do is almost think about like answer. You want to address a lot of the points that come in from the reviews that you took down in your tally. But at the same time, you also want to go look at what are the most common questions we get in the comments of our ads on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, what are the most common questions we get in DMs on social media? And the most common questions or pain points or concerns we get from customers through customer service. And you want to make sure that you know all of that is kind of addressed within these sections throughout the page so that you're basically giving a customer all the possible information for them to make the best decision for themselves. Yeah, I love that. I think that's, I mean, I love the push and pull thing of like, okay, this is to get someone to click a CTA. This one's to educate and push them down the page a little more to get to the next section. I'm wondering, do you recommend like different types of landing pages for like different channels? For example, obviously paid search. If someone, if it's like a branded paid search, it's more, they know the brand like versus like Facebook where it's very, Sometimes it's educational, sometimes it's retargeting. So you you have different landing pages for all those. Is that like something you plan out for like different ads you're running? Totally. Usually we, you know, before we design a lander, we think about what's the platform it's coming from because that has an impact based on the, you know, how is the platform used? For example, with Snapchat, you know, to get to an ad, you swipe up with your thumb. With Facebook, you you click on something in usually a feed experience. On TikTok, you swipe to the left. Each channel has its nuances, right? People go to Facebook when they're usually bored. People go on TikTok when they're when they've got a little bit of time to just send a message or quickly read something. People go to TikTok. Uh, sorry, that was Snapchat. People go to Snapchat when they've got just a minute. People go to TikTok when they're looking to be constantly entertained and just keep moving, you know, to the next thing. And so, you know, if somebody's coming from Facebook and Instagram, which is where most paid social traffic comes from, you know, we will build a page that is a little bit more information dense than if somebody comes from TikTok, we're focused on big buttons, collecting maybe an email or a phone number, and then getting out because we know that somebody's not going to spend a ton of time converting in that session right there, but it might give us the ability to then retarget them later and still convert them. So it would still make that ad successful. It's just that we're trying to find a way to string that user back when they're off the platform. I mean, I love that there's details and all that. I think a lot of people just have one landing page for like every channel and they just like, what's going like, why is this converting better than this? And it's crazy that they, they don't test like landing pages on every single channel. Yeah. I mean, even with like, when we ran some stuff with TV, you know, our landers for TV were significantly different than our landers for Facebook, which were significantly different when we aired on Good Morning America and we had an announcement bar for GMA traffic. Like I think every, every audience and every source of traffic and every channel needs to have a very specific site experience so that you're not necessarily, like, especially in modern day advertising, there's so much competition in terms of getting somebody's attention, you can't necessarily have 11 out of 13 things right. You have to have 13 out of 13 things right 
to win. Also, another question I have is, how do you connect like the messaging between like the ad and the landing page like, all the way to like the checkout? Is there like a, a way you could have a cohesive metric down the funnel where, because I see a lot of advertisers, like you click on an ad and it's like, oh, the experience is way different than the ad you just showed me. Totally. So, uh, yeah. It's funny. Us marketers don't necessarily think of that as much as we should we think, all right, we've got a, we've got a good creative and we've got a good landing page, like the customer will make the bridge. But then as a consumer, when we go and we click an ad for a blue teddy bear, we get to the landing page and it's yellow dinosaurs. We're like, what, wait, hold on. What, what happened to the blue teddy bear? I just clicked. And so there's a couple of ways to do it. One is obviously you just have a ton of pages that you light up and, you know, each page has different messaging or a different focus visually. The other way is, you know, if you use a tool like Unbounce, you can actually have your campaign parameters dictate what is said on your lander. So for example, if your ad headline is something like, you know, the world's greatest smelling candles, and you drive to a lander for your candles, you can make sure that your lander hero copy matches the exact headline that you just came from because your UTM parameter tells Unbounce to do that. So there are ways to have dynamic text within landers that you drive to. The other way, which might be easier or harder, depending on how sophisticated you are with developing landers, is you know you just duplicate and ha- have a separate URL for each ad. Yeah, I think that's also a mistake a lot of marketers make is they have a platform where it has to take heavy dev work to change a landing page where they could totally. start testing on like an un- unbounce. And then once it becomes like a legit fleshed out test, then you can start moving it to like your actual experience. But they, people would put it on their main landing page, which takes weeks and weeks to just change a little button on their site, which screws them over. Um, totally. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of, of uh, platforms like unbounce or builder for that specific reason is, you know, marketers are not necessarily developers, at least most of us aren't. And being able to use a platform like Unbounce or Builder, where you can just jump in, swap colors for something, update text, you know, swap out an image, move sections around without using a developer and just literally click and holding and dragging things is huge. It allows us to get tests up and running much quicker. And then obviously once something works really well, then we can definitely, you know, all right, this template is something that works really well. We're going to go ahead and develop that into our main Shopify site or into our, you know, main front end website experience. But everything else in theory could just go through landers. You know, the benefit there is that you get to test significantly faster. I mean, that's the key too. I think what you said there's speed is your, the game when it comes to testing. because Exactly. Every week you waste is another like week of testing you wasting. So totally, especially with like a D to C brand who's competing fast against other all these other brands. Um, totally. Last question I have for you, and I like to ask, but I'll flip it in a different way for you: is what are most like D to C brands doing wrong today? Like, what are like some clear a clear mistake that a lot of D to C brands are doing? I would say two things. One is, you know, they focus on trying to drive sales before really building a foundational brand in the sense that, you know, they launch and they're like, all right, 
how do we go drive sales? How do we optimize for conversion rate? Why aren't we getting more, a higher AOV in our cart? Uh, how do we add upsell post-purchase? And they kind of forget this whole piece of like storytelling why the brand exists and kind of building their first you know, cohort of 1,000 or 10,000 customers. So I think that's a huge mistake. And those are also the same people that end up then, you know, complaining about the iOS 15 issues or their ad spend is not as effective. And it's because they can't just rely on their Facebook pixel to do their job as a marketer, which is to build the brand. So that's one big thing. I think the second big thing, you know, kind of coupled with that is like not using landing pages. It's just such an easy thing to go in and implement And it gives you, like you said, so many more opportunities to test every piece of messaging, every style of creative, every kind of punchline you're going after, depending on the audience you're you're targeting. Like we've seen times where just adding a landing page in will overnight drop your acquisition cost by 30%. Why? It's because, well, people have to make less decisions. They have to click around less and everything that they need is almost right in front of them. But I would say, you know, the combination of, of storytelling and landing pages are, I think, two things that a lot of people tend to miss out on in the pursuit of how do we go just generate revenue like crazy. One last question to piggyback off that is, do you think, are there a lot of, say, like agencies you work with or markers you work with that focus on like, okay, how can we get the lowest like cost per click? but they don't focus on like the ultimate like CAC because then like they don't focus on the landing page, everything. They're like, oh, we're driving like this much clicks or this much leads, we're, but none of that's converting down funnel. Do you see that a lot in, in the yeah, industry? a ton. I was just speaking with a brand that we'll probably end up working with. And you know they were telling me that their paid media agency what what they're doing right now is eventually they want to launch a you know an entire commerce business which is why we were talking to them but what they're doing now is they're building a an audience by you know building out a newsletter and so i started asking them all right you know what this agency that you've hired what are they doing and she's like well you know they're focused on acquiring email subscribers by driving people to our website and they're also testing things like lead ads on Facebook to 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 get email signups. And you know, right away I was like, all right, that's a huge red flag. You know, lead ads on Facebook give you the absolute worst quality of people to sign up for your list. And just driving people from Facebook to your website with no no real layer of information in between, you're not going to get the people that eventually, you know, 6 months or a year down the line are going to come back and be excited to buy the products that you're launching. So I think there's a lot of that. And I don't. I also don't know that it's necessarily fully the agency's fault. I think there's kind of this world in between, which is a lot of what we do at Sharma Brands. We kind of play in this space between brands and agencies where we almost come in as this quarterback or the strategy layer. You know, like I, I would go in and I would say, all right, how do we, how do we know that these customers are going to be, you know, long-term readers or buyers of the products that we launch. Is there some element of uh one, is there a KPI that shows that, you know, their open rate wasn't that high? And so that off the bat tells me that they're already getting the wrong people. But secondly, is there an element of, you know, we're qualifying these prospective customers through 
you know, whether it's a messenger funnel or gated content that they're looking forward to reading more of or an advertorial, something of that nature. So I don't necessarily think it's the agency's fault. You know, they're running ads with their KPI of getting the lowest customer or the lowest subscriber cost. But it's also, it's kind of on the brand side there of, you know, not having the right strategy to acquire subscribers that will down the line be valuable to them. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's on both sides of it. I think some agencies are just looking out for themselves and trying to get that one metric where they don't care about the performance down funnel. But I also think sometimes it's just the marketer doesn't understand that like it doesn't stop at someone hitting your site. Like it's not totally. how many visitors you have on your site. That <laughs> yeah, not determines at all. Brand. The last minute, I would just want to give you a chance to plug anything you do. I know you you produce a good newsletter, so you could talk about that, but you also have work with sick uh, brands, uh, Charmer brands. So whatever you want to. Yeah, time. I'll uh, I'll plug the newsletter. So I write a newsletter. It goes out to about 25,000 CMOs, CEOs, founders, VCs every Sunday, you know, diving deep on things like landing pages, ad creative, website setup, partnerships, you know, building a team in e-commerce. And uh, it's completely free. You can sign up at nick.co slash email. So that's nik.co backslash email. Sweet. Yeah. I highly suggest everybody on this podcast go subscribe. But if you want to learn about e-commerce from the one and only D2C guy, thanks for being on the podcast. This was awesome. Thank you.